The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 100 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the membership director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined today by our founder and my co-host, Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hello, Chris. I'm breaking out the hats and the hooters. Let's get the party poppers out. It's a big 100. We finally made it. Well, listen, you know, when we started way back, ooh, Feb 19? It was indeed February the 19th, 2019, episode number one. Yeah. And, you know, we we kind of felt really passionate, didn't we, about providing something free that would increase the financial intelligence of as many people as we could possibly reach. And we know, sadly, most people have a low financial IQ. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. What I mean by that is financial intelligence is the ability to make distinctions about the differences that can help you completely change your mind about how to build your wealth. And most people struggle with this day to day. They find themselves trading time for money in a job or trading time for money in a business. And none, of course, that's not wrong, but but of course it's so uncertain it's so delicately balanced and so fragile as we've seen you know and who could have predicted the current situation you know when we started in 19 we didn't foresee what was happening in 2020 so i'm excited even more chris because we've got you know just as we've dedicated our well i suppose number of years but certainly the last two years to to help you know raise that bar for everybody else we've completely wanted to expand that knowledge. We're expanding the service still further, aren't we? We've created a what's coming up soon to to give more people access, a wealth academy, a wealth builders academy. And I'm going to be writing something on wealth builders for kids so parents can help involve and get their children slowly and gradually involved in understanding and making differences. And there's never too early. You're never too soon to get started on building your wealth, Chris. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, we have to say a big thank you to you for listening and tuning in and, you know, giving us such encouragement and great feedback as we've progressed throughout the last two years. And, uh, you know, all of the reviews that we read out every week, we really, really, really do appreciate it. And as you say, Kevin, the community is growing. When we launched the podcast, we, we didn't have a membership program. We've launched the membership program, which started as the foundation program and then evolved into the Seven Steps to Wealth program. And as you say, now is going to be evolving again into the Wealth Builders Academy. So more news on that coming up in the coming weeks. But we've put together some of the best bits, uh, in our opinion anyway. There were so many, it was a really tough job. But we've pulled together just some of those pearls of wisdom from ourselves, from our guests, and from our members, Kevin. So we're looking forward to listening back to some of those. I'm looking forward to it too. So why don't we head on over to your choice. You are the editor of the Pearls of Wealth Building Wisdom. So Kevin, let's get into really what Wealth Builders is all about. How did you come about creating and setting up Wealth Builders? And give our listeners a bit of a backstory, please. Sure. Well, you know, my my own story is... Uh, born out of some tragedy when my father died very young. 
And of course, that what stimulated me to build wealth for myself because, you know, I didn't want to be in a position where if I died young too, I didn't leave a good legacy for my family. But over the years, I think the big catalyst for me was 2000 Acres, which is when the credit crunch came and pretty much everything fell off a cliff. And I had an advisory business, you know, traditional financial planning business. And I realized that in that role, I just wasn't doing or wasn't able to help people break free of what the tradition of financial planning and good wealth planning was all about, which was really the stock market. And since then, I've just seen a mushrooming of people moving on to new things and teaching them how to create streams of income in their lives so they can be financially independent, whatever the state of the market. So whether the market crashes or not, whether interest rates go up or down, whether Brexit happens or not at this time, whatever uncertainties they've got, they've got complete control over their finances. And that's what Wealth Builders has been doing for the last 10 years or so. And we've got lots of wisdom to share with people on how to do that. How can we have a podcast about wealth talk without really first defining what wealth means? So, Kevin, what's your definition of wealth? Well, that's a toughie. That's like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder, really. So I'll give you the best answer I can give, um, which is, you know, the wealth is a concept which really involves uh, an overlay of different freedoms. And uh, if I describe what the freedoms are, and I know there's one very important to your heart, Chris, and maybe you can mm-hmm. tell a little tale about that one. Mm-hmm. So freedom, people have been fighting for freedom for generations, okay? But in wealth context, I think the most important freedoms are freedom of time. You know, because in a time-pressed world, you know, look how much... Every time we talk to people it's about... the number one response. Right. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. So, so getting control of that time and, of course, using a podcast, using Audible, using things that you can build your education at the same time as you're multi-laying other things... It is, comes is, down to leverage again. It's a really good idea, right? So getting freedom of time and that balance of being able to do what you want to do on your own terms and being in control of your time is really quite an important element of wealth the second one of course is money you know because the importance of being financially independent means the freedom from being dependent on a job or a business that you're having to turn up and work in in a sense that if you are dependent you're trading your time for money so you show up and the money shows up the definition of money freedom then is you have enough money flowing from things you own, assets you own, that you uh, have put in place. And with a small amount of management, which can be delegated, then the money's flowing into your life to live the life that you want to lead. And that's freedom of money. And then defining really real strong catalyst, as you often refer to it, as your why is really that catalyst to to propel you forwards. Yeah, because look, you look around... The world is a place of confusion. There's so much information out there. It's a place of a lack of capacity. You know, people are busy, 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 and they don't have any time. We hear that, as you say, all the time. And something has to break through that. And for me, the catalyst was the key, and it was something that was a tragedy. Now, I'm not suggesting that someone needs a tragic aspect to their life, but they need a catalyst, and sometimes it can be the inspiration from someone else, like the person I mentioned who wanted to copy Bromwich, 
or I hope, Krista, we could be a catalyst in our writings and our teachings. When I'm talking to women about helping them, because a lot of them want to, you know, find, find their purpose and have it expressed through their work, this distinction about it being an iterative process, I think is a really important one. That a lot of people think that they're going to discover their life purpose, you know, be wandering through the fields one day and get this big call from God, you know, here is your purpose. But it isn't like that. It's just these little yeses to your passion along the way. You discover something more about yourself and then you end up in a situation where you know, I feel very blessed to be now where I'm leading a business and a team and and really what my community members call a movement um, uh, here at One of Many where we're looking to really shift the paradigm on leadership and, and, and you know, achieving um, gender parity and leadership and supporting women to sustainably change their corner of the world. That I could never have known was my purpose back in the day. It was that every little yes to something that I was passionate about that got me to this position where I feel like I get to live my purpose every single day. Before I give you the definition of an asset, Chris, I'd like to give a distinction which will lead on to that. And that's the two different types of income one can earn. One is called work income, and that's when you trade your time for money. And that's obviously easy to identify if you've got a job or if you're self-employed and you're running some kind of a business where you're cooking it, shipping it, selling it, doing the whole thing. That's trading time for money, and that's called work income. And it kind of sounds different as well. We're on a podcast. Why don't we make it audible? Uh, It sounds different. It's like work, 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 work 30 times or 20 times in a month, Mm -hmm. get paid. Mm -hmm. 20 times work, get paid. 20 times work. And that's the cycle, right? The difference that I'd like to point out, which will then come to the asset, is asset income. Now, asset income is income that flows from something that we will now have the definition and then show the difference between the two. So an asset is something you own. Get the ownership that is not you. Now, you don't own a job, so it can't be an asset. Can't pass your job on to your kids, last time I looked. Something you own that is not you. It puts money in your bank account while you're asleep. You don't have to show up for the money to show up. You can pass that money on to anybody you wish to, good causes, your family and so on. You do not have to be there for the money to be there. That's the definition of an asset to me. So if you own assets, then the ownership of the asset, which throws off income, whether it throws off rent, whether it throws off dividends, whether it throws off royalties, whatever the income that flows from the ownership of your assets, it's permanent. It isn't temporary. So therefore, if you have an asset income, it continues to flow. So you do the work, and often you have to work very hard. So you do the work, but you get paid, get paid, get paid, get paid. Shall I keep going? Get paid, mm-hmm. get paid. It doesn't stop. Yes, you have to put a little bit of management in place. And let's be clear, you cannot be wealthy without being in the wealth management business. You have to manage your wealth. But it's easy to delegate that. Or if you love doing it, manage it yourself. And certainly, 
you look back to the previous episode when we talked about passing on the wealth to the next generation, you need to give the stewardship skills, the skills of wisdom to the next generation so they manage and expand the wealth as well for the generations to come. So what I would say in episode one, I think we talked about the importance of being an entrepreneur and that you can only be truly wealthy if you're part of the value creation process, which is really what an entrepreneur is. Wealth then is the managing of your your asset income as opposed to your work income. So nobody gets rich by having work income because it ends when you start working. The wealth comes from owning assets. And in another episode, we'll go step by step into the seven different assets you can own. Mm. And what's great about it, Chris, is there are only seven. Everybody's got IP, the fact that they're delivering their own intellect. But when they deliver it in a job, they're sort of selling that for an hourly rate. And the easiest way to get a sense of that, almost bring it to life, is to say, well, the hourly rate, most people work, I guess, a lot longer than we think. But but let's say, you know, conversationally, 2,000 hours a year, mm-hmm. you know, 50 Couple of weeks, 50 weeks, day, yeah, yeah, 40 hours, you know, if that's, mm-hmm. I'm sure some people are laughing already thinking, I'll do 60 hours mm-hmm. a week and more fool you, but there you go. Mm. Um, so 40 hours a week, 50 hours, 50 uh, weeks, 2,000 hours. So simply then, if someone's got a salary, you can work out the hourly rate by simply taking the salary and halving it. Mm. So if someone's on 50,000, it's 25 pounds an hour. Yeah. If they're on 100,000, it's 50 pounds an hour. Yeah. So you know the value of your IP but you're getting paid for it in a kind of an hourly capacity. What's your definition of an entrepreneur, Shweta? (laughs) What's my definition of an entrepreneur? Um, That's a very interesting question. I mean, we all have our own different versions. For, For me, entrepreneur is someone who is willing to fail fast and fail enough to succeed. And when I say fail fast and fail enough, this is my mantra, by the way, Chris. uh, And that's for me is not flipping coins, but it's about making series of decisions in a calculated way, knowing the probability of potential success or failure and the rewards and risks attached to that, and then going ahead with it. And there are two things I'm saying, failing fast and failing enough. Sometimes people fail fast, but they don't fail enough right? They just do a couple of things. There's a failure, boom, they kind of step back. There are some people who fail enough, but then they're just taking too long and the journey just becomes long and dragged. So can we fail fast? Can we fail enough? After thinking it through in an objective way and being decisive and moving forward, for me, that's entrepreneurship. And that's exactly what I've been following for the last 11 years. And I make sure my clients are also doing that. You know, I just turned 50 earlier this year. I guess, you know, any milestone birthday is a time to reflect. And I just started to think about, you know, think ahead to retirement and what I want that to look like. And I started to think about, well, how could I become financially independent earlier than normal retirement age? You know, how could I maybe retire earlier or have a different pattern to my life than, you know, work full on, which is what I've done for the last 28 years and then stop. And that didn't really appeal to me. So I came across Kevin and Wealth Builders and I saw that you were working with Kevin to launch the foundation programme. And what really appealed to me was the systemised process. So I would say I was already doing parts of the wealth building, you know, parts of the foundation programme in little pockets. 
but this was the first time I'd seen someone bring it together in you know, a systematic process, a process that one could follow that was logical. You could tick the boxes, you could get everything done, get peace of mind that you'd done the right things and then move on to the next part of building your wealth. So there's some of the key reasons that I joined Chris. The three things that I always go back to now is since joining, I've got a plan of my financials of where I need to be and where I am, what action I need to take to get there and when I'm going to do that and accountability as well between yourself, Kevin and the group members. So I'm on track. I've done everything I've set out to do so far. So if, if we keep going, I will, will hit my target. And the best part of that is a lot of things we used to tell our clients to do. I've now done for myself. So I've organized all my debits and done everything. Probably saved myself about 200 pounds a month overall. I've put my, I can't believe as a financial advisor, as you guys would call it, the roof wasn't in place. So I've done plenty of power of attorneys for all my clients. I've done plenty of trusts for all my clients. We put everyone's life cover into trust, but somehow I didn't do my own. So all of that's now done. And my SAS is in the process of being sorted out as well. And I think you you guys in making right okay you got to i think doing it as a step-by-step program is really good because it's just one thing at a time then isn't it it's not i need to do this i need to do this because if you'd have spoken about investments as well i would have done my roof i'd have gone straight to the investments bit (laughs) yeah yeah And, and ignored probably the important part of it so well done i think i think it's working really well so far what do you feel that you've gained most from being a member of the foundation program since you joined if there was if there's one thing that you could pick what I love about the foundation program is the fact that it's actually, you can see the momentum building and the network building. And I love the way people are just now communicating with each other and trying to find commonalities and also things that are a good fit. I'm comfortable with uh, the Wealth Builders Foundation that it's actually done what I was hoping it would do, but also just, I think the sky's the limit. And what I love about it is it just prompted you to take action. I teased you a bit, didn't I, last time? It's mysterious John. This mysterious John. Do you want to know who he is? Yes. Well, you know, oh, you I did know. the interview. <laughs> it's Mr. John Warrillow. Yeah, John Warrillow is just a business guru. He's the man who, if you want to understand how to create the maximum value from your business, he's the man who can help you with his own IP. Just imagine um, a square, and we've got three... Uh, lines going to the right of the page and four lines going to the left. So we're going to talk about seven assets. And the three to the right, I call the parked pillars. The pillars of where most people, why 95% of the population simply do not make it to a place of financial independence is because their life is parked. Their money is parked and it's parked in three assets. Asset number one is their home. Now, let's be clear. I am not saying your home is an asset because your home generally, for most people, doesn't put money in your bank account while you're asleep, Chris. It costs lots of money to (laughs) maintain the home. It takes money out of your eyes. So, So, Kevin, what are you saying to me? You know, a property is an asset. Well, I need to make another definition here, Chris. There's the difference between an asset that generates flows of cash or capital and a latent asset, which could do if you applied a different strategy, something that's got the power within it, like the, the like a seed has got the capacity to grow, but you could kill that germination by doing the wrong things. 
Asset number two is the most undervalued, overlooked asset of all, Chris. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, the word that most people start to shrink away from and go, oh, no, oh, gray and dreary. It's that pension word. And the pension is the biggest pot in the UK where people rely on uh, putting their money in order to create their future retirement wealth. And the big mistakes there, the big one there is they simply ignore them. Mm -hmm. Well, they feel so disconnected. One statement a year. One statement a year, and then they get the statement, they read it, they file it, and they hope that the next six months the statement is going to be bigger, Mm. but absolutely have no control whatsoever. And because they have no control and they feel that level of disconnect, they just drift on the ebb and flow of the market because almost all pensions uh, are invested in the stock market, and that certainly makes the pensions industry very wealthy but doesn't do very much long-term for the wealth of clients. And and you think about um, the fact that the whenever you have uh, – we talked about in debits. You remember debits? We talked about costs and, yeah, and trying to – that episode four. And we're talking a lot about episode four. So we're, we're looking to try and help people create money where money uh, simply is underperforming. Mm. One of the areas that's overlooked is the fees and charges – that are levied in pensions almost always are opaque. They're not really truly disclosed. So if something's not disclosed and it's not in your view, you're less likely to challenge it. So if I've got a uh, utility bill, how easy is it for me to go switch that? Mm. You know, whichever company you would care to use, you could just go do that. Can you do that with your pension? Can you just go switch? It's not really that easy. Mm-hmm. It's more complex or it feels harder. So we spend a lot of our time, particularly with entrepreneurs, Chris, educating them to take control of that. Mm. And when they take control of their pension through a special kind of vehicle that we refer to as the director's pension because you have to be an entrepreneur to have one, mm-hmm. but more technically the SAS, the Small Self-Administered Scheme. That's S-S-A-S. S-S-A-S, not the S-A-S, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you have enormous control. It's uh, what some people call the, you know, best-kept financial secret. It's just that ability to take control and drive the return to whichever asset you want. Because if you're the owner of your own pension, then nobody's telling you where to park it. Mm. You can make that money work by using it in the entrepreneurial pillars. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director of Wealth Builders. And today we are doing something slightly different. So I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hello, Hi. Kevin. Hello, Chris. But I'm also joined by a very special guest today, Mr. Simon Zucci. Hi, Christian. Hey, Simon. Simon, you're the founder of the Property Investor Network, author of Property Magic. Indeed, yes. We've got together today and we thought we'd take this opportunity, just have a bit more of a discussion around the property pillar some of the things that are happening currently in the markets. And um, I'm going to hand it over to you guys to actually just have a a really relaxed conversation today about property. And um, let me do that. Hand it over to you right now. Thank you. True sense of wealth building collaboration, which we know is very popular in the community, where people genuinely work together, where some people have skill, some people have time, some people have money, some people have an idea. And you can combine those wealth dynamics in a way that truly makes something more valuable by by doing those things together. So that's the kind of starting process. But as you then 
then say, well, how does that work step by step? Yeah, which I know that you have a very, very elegant model. And I think it'd be really good for us to actually dive into that now, Kevin, is, okay, so you know what your financial level is that you're trying to reach. And you've chosen the pillar that you feel is the right pillar for you based on wealth dynamics and your interests. How do we actually make the whole process work? How do we actually start generating income from those assets? Okay. So you're absolutely right, Chris. You have to begin with some kind of end in mind. And the end in mind for most people at the beginning is how do I move from insecurity to security, which is from level one on the wealth scale to level two. Now, you put some numbers on that. So it doesn't really matter what the numbers are. We've said that before. But you pick a number. You take stock and see where you are right now. And you let's say the target level for, for security is 5000 a month. And you look at what you're generating from assets right now, and let's say it's zero. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go from zero to 5000 you know, in a heartbeat. There's a process for doing that. So how you do that is you, once you've identified the number, you then take stock of which pillar is the best one for you to start with. Now, once you do that, remember we talked about entrepreneurs make decisions looking forward, not looking backwards. They have to do before they know, not know before they do. Now, what that means is we we work on a process, Chris, which we call the wheel of wealth. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that was created by me as a thought process, which I believe works every single time. So... I'm going to say, don't cheat the wheel. Okay, now I'm going to tell you why people do cheat the wheel in a minute. But first of all, let me describe the wheel. So entrepreneurship is a little bit like that. And I've, I've been really fortunate when you work with 3,000 entrepreneurs ranging from early stage startups right up into the billions of revenue, um, you actually get a very clear picture of what the map ends up looking like. Um, and, and therefore, it's a lot easier to, to build businesses very rapidly, multi-million pound businesses very, very rapidly. Um, so there's a few key stages. There's obviously the startup phase where you're getting the concept right and you're doing validation. There's a phase called the wilderness, which is first contact with the marketplace to see if your ideas survive. Um, then there's the boutique phase, which is three to 12 employees or three to 12 people on the team. Um, and what you're trying to do is establish a boutique that punches well above its weight. You, you want a boutique where three to 12 people are really kind of making some waves and disrupting things and gaining influence. Um, if you can get up to 12 people, you enter a very difficult phase, which is crossing the desert. Uh, and the desert I describe as too big to be small, too small to be big. And it's between 13 and 40 people. And this is a difficult phase where the business is no longer this kind of self-managing small boutique, but it's also not ready to have a leadership team and, you know, a, 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 you know kind of um, uh, expensive software and expensive offices and all the kind of things that you need to run a, a proper business, a bigger business. So you're kind of in this weird no man's land of not small, not big uh, from 13 to 40 people, which doesn't sound like a big jump, but actually when you're in it, it's a huge jump that lasts a couple of years often. Um, and then... Uh, you you then uh, basically enter a new v- uh, phase of business, which is scaling from about 40 to 120 people, um, where there's another little desert in there as well, where, where you kind of have to uh, go through it again. But um, essentially, there's these key phases uh, that you go through. And if you don't know these phases, some of sometimes the horrible thing that can happen is that you can have a wonderful business that's just doing so well at 12 people. And then you go 13, 14, 15, 16 people, you get up to 16 before you realize that you actually needed to do a lot more planning than you thought. 
um, in order to go past 12. So those kind of things uh, kind of creep in. And when you know the map, you know what to expect. Obviously, Daniel, we've spoken previously in the past, um, you know, with Escape the Rat Race and the shift from employee to entrepreneur. So would you say now more than ever, certainly the millennials, right, I'm sure are thinking more about being business owners, you know, straight out of school, then they're not going through that traditional education system that the older generations have done. But even obviously people, you know, in their middle ages are now looking at the security that a job can provide and, and obviously being quite worried about that and, and looking at other opportunities and, and how can you make that shift over to a business owner, start thinking like an entrepreneur. Um, are you seeing that shift just accelerating as well? It's definitely accelerating. And my first book was Entrepreneur Revolution, which was around, you know, the fact that we're all going to end up as entrepreneurs and we're all going to have to um, make that shift. So entrepreneurship has always been really hard and difficult and terrible um, and a slap in the face and a punch in the nose and risky and um, exhausting and all of those kind of things. Um, but it, it's always had a higher potential for upside. It's always had the potential for freedom and the potential for um, abundance and, uh, and, you know, and creativity and all of that baked into it. Um, the problem was that up until recently, there was an extremely good alternative to entrepreneurship. So um, you had to kind of weigh up, do I want to be an entrepreneur or do I want a good, stable, solid job that just pays the bills and you know, I can I can get a decent mortgage. I can pay off the mortgage. I can take a holiday each year. Um, I've got stability. I know that my job is going to be around for many years. So essentially, people had to weigh up the two options. Um, and in many cases, for for really rational reasons, people would choose to have a good job. Um, however, uh, as we've gotten further and further away from that reality being true for many people, there's hardly anyone who would describe their job in those terms. Uh, anymore. Um, you know, even when we hear about these concepts of full employment, someone who's driving an Uber uh, on, you know, on an effective rate of eight pounds an hour is classed as having full employment and you know, a full-time job. Um, that is not someone who's got, uh, you know, job security or anything like that. So um, because of the because of weighing up the two options and weighing up the alternative, there is no real alternative now. Like you have to be, in, if you want any chance of owning a home, if you want any chance of having fun and freedom and making the most of the times that we're in and the ability to kind of change and pivot and, and get the most out of life, you know, most rational people are saying, well, you know, there's really no choice. I need to kind of either be on an entrepreneurial team um, where I'm, I'm kind of bought in and I've got equity or I've got an opportunity um, or I need to go and start my own. But, um, you know, but there is no kind of big, stable, safe job waiting in the wings. The term recurring income is describing the, the byproduct of an asset. Um, so this, it's this recurring income is the symptom of owning an asset. Um, it's, what, it's what accidentally happens after owning an asset. So if you own a big house and you rent it out, you've got recurring income. If you write a, a book that sells every year and it's a perennial bestseller, then you have recurring income because you created an IP asset. So recurring income is the um, is the output. It's the symptom of of an asset. Um, an asset is anything that would still retain its value if you weren't around, if you were paying very little attention to it. Um, and what we need to look at now is a new class of assets. So we need to look in, we look we need to look at this new class of asset called digital assets. 
So in the agricultural age, the number one type of asset was farming land. Um, and then industrial age came along and farming land was less important and it was actually industrial land, um, industrial factories actually that was the primary asset that if you could organise labour under one roof then that was the number one asset. Um, in fact, owning a mill, owning machinery, owning a sewing factory uh, would be a much better thing than owning land and it might only take up a very small amount of land. Um, and then as we move from the industrial age into the digital age, we need to own digital assets. Um, so it almost doesn't matter whether you own a factory anymore. It matters that you own the brand. Um, so you look at businesses like Nike, they don't own factories. They, they outsource to different factories. They own the brand. They own the soft assets. So um, the new assets, it still follows the same rule that an asset is something that would provide value if you weren't around um, or looking after it. But think about things like this. Um, a database, let's say you've got 100,000 names who know who you are and open your emails. That's one hell of a, a digital asset. Um, if you said that you have, uh, if you've won a really difficult award, uh, let's, you know, at an extreme level, an Olympic gold medal, um, that award places you as someone who is who has a soft asset for life, for the rest of your life, um, which is about excellence and achievement at the highest level. So that asset will continually bring you opportunities um, because you're an Olympic gold medalist. But in business, there are all sorts of awards that have that same impact. And that is actually an asset. An award is an asset. Um, uh, let's say you've got an incredible culture where people would love to come and work in your organization because of the type of workplace that you run. Um, that's an asset. Uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of asset that it's hard for us to think about it through our industrial brain industrial, you know, we've all grown up in the industrial age and now we're living in the digital age, but having a workplace culture that attracts highly talented and skilled people uh, is, a, is an incredible asset. So what we need to do is build this ecosystem of assets. Um, often they're digital assets. We formalize them into media, software, and intellectual property. And once you formalize them into media, software, and intellectual property, you suddenly have this ability to, to, to have a business that takes on a life of its own. One of the things that people always tell me about their wealth building is I just don't have time. Mm. And, well, that's an excuse because everybody's got time because you can create time in so many ways. And I try and encourage people to box time. So earmark time, just like you would in your calendar. Mm. But people don't put their wealth in their calendar. So we encourage people to box that time, to take two hours a month as a minimum and box that time off so that you never spend more than 30 days without doing something to create more in your wealth, whether it's building a relationship, whether it's building more leverage, whether it's building, whether it's looking at your debits, whatever it is, you're doing something that is moving you forward in your wealth plan, really. So and, and the other ways to, to create time leverage is to work with people who have time. So again, going back to this idea of... Uh, Property is an example, yeah? So you, know, you could have lots of money, but you just don't have time because you're flat out. Well, there are people who have that leverage of time and they can find things for you that your money could de be deployed in. Mm -hmm. and, and this is very common, mm -hmm. this idea of sourcing property, for example. Yeah. And there's no shortage of business opportunities that take care of the time of busy people, you know, VAs and, and concierge-type services and, and things that... You can either take advantage of if you're lacking in time yep. or you can provide if you have a surplus of time. Mm. But either way, time leverage 
is you know really important thing. So when you combine financial leverage, intellectual leverage, relationship leverage, systems and time, maybe we'll find number six somewhere, Chris. We'll probably invent <laughs> it, right? So, but for now, then that's going to be an opportunity for anybody to to move forward. So I tried for a few years, maybe between my late teens and mid twenties, a few different businesses. Really, I was more self-employed to try and, you know, be successful and make some money. Art, pub landlord, architect. And they never really worked out for me. Uh, and I, I think it was because I didn't really understand what a business was. I, I understood, you know, having a, a passion or something creative, but I didn't understand how to turn it into a business. And um, on December the 15th, 2005, my dad had a nervous breakdown in the pub that I was working in. I worked in my dad's pub. I was very reliant on my family for money. And I got myself kind of into a fair bit of debt financially and, and kind of emotionally lost, directionless. And then when my dad had his nervous breakdown, this was in front of all the cu customers in his pub, I had this moment of shame but also clarity in that I felt very embarrassed and a huge amount of guilt that, my dad had raised me to be an entrepreneur, but I'd never really done anything with it. And, and I'd never been independent. And I'd always relied on safer options, like you know, going through the conventional school and uni system or working in my mum and dad's pub because it was safe and easy and comfortable. And I guess I'd built up this fear of taking any risk of doing something different. But I knew that my life I mean, I was only 25, 26 when I got this realization. Some people are 46 and 66 when they get this. So I was very grateful I got it quite early in my life. But in that moment, after my dad's nervous breakdown, got sectioned, got put in the um, mental institutional part of the hospital for a long time, I really strongly reevaluated through a lot of emotional pain what I wanted to do with my life. And I didn't know what it was at all, Christian. I had no idea. And a lot of people are looking to get perfect before they start. Well, I had no idea. But because I had this huge pain driver, I just put myself out there and started exploring and listening to people for a change. It really was a game changer having a SAS. Um, and of course, then going on the, the Wealth Builders program, um, we, we got a level of knowledge, but it was it took it to another level and, and helped us focus on different areas um, like creating trusts and, and looking at, uh, you know, the legal aspects of your wealth uh, and, and obviously keeping your wealth, not just uh, creating it in the first place, which is, uh, you know, extremely important. You obviously had a you know, conversation with Kevin and, and, and we're talking about your pension. And then I guess we, we kind of just, I think it was just really a very low key kind of um, opening that we did just for some people that were, you know, in the community and on the wait list at the end of July. And, and obviously you jumped on, I think, you know, one of the webinars we did. And what was it about the program that, that made you think, OK, I'm, I'm going to join? Yeah, well, I think if I, if I look back on the, the reason why, it's having the structure. So it's understanding um, a, a well-laid-out path, um, clear guidance. And I guess the key thing for me was was it wasn't being forced down you. So it's very much, you know, it's up to you. Um, you know, we're not – he wasn't selling. There was no hard sell, which is always a really good sign because there's so many programs and uh, out there that you can join, but it's very a hard sell. You must join now at the end of the seminar. It's a, a one-off only. And 
uh, I didn't think find that at all. I found that that everything was approached with we want you to do well. We really want you to to, to succeed. And, uh, and and I think that for me that made the difference. Basically, it really helped me to make that decision. Um, and then I remember obviously having the call with yourself. And um, what kind of resonated with me was uh, I was wasn't hundred percent sure. And, and you know you said, well, are you going to have this, this much time next year? And I thought about it being back in the office, and the answer was no. Um, and, you know, it, it became a bit of a no-brainer at that point. Well, I found that it was a really um, lonely path. Um, once I'd set that goal, uh, I couldn't really talk to anyone about it because everyone I spoke to w- would look at me in a, in a really odd manner. And I very quickly learned I couldn't speak to many people, knowing down the pub. And even the sort of the, the high earners, the, the guys I was sat next to in, in, in the flight deck of aircraft, they're, you know, they're high earning, they're tax dodging, they're their own, sorry, they live abroad, should I say. They, uh, they own Ferraris, these guys. And yet I'd turn around and sort of have a conversation about the fact that I wanted to push myself and become financially free. Um, and um, they'd look at me and they'd sort of look at me really oddly and say, well, money's the root of all evil and the debt's a really bad thing. And I couldn't understand why even these guys that have money or that have PAYE money still saw someone striving to become financially free as almost a bad thing. So I wanted to really get with a community um, that had similar aspirations and similar goals so I could share my journey uh, with those people and have peers to, to talk to. And, and that sort of led me to, into Wealth Builders. You mentioned 95% of people who wish to become wealthy, financially independent, never make it. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about a reasoning behind that, Kevin, and, and how you can identify whether you maybe are one of the 5% that will make it. Oh, that would be a bit scary. Uh, of course, 95% of people don't make it. Only 5% do. Uh, and the skill in wealth builders is really trying to help more people reach that. But there's a little bit of self-analysis you can do. You know, in the number of years that I've been talking to people and helping them create financial independence for themselves, I notice, Chris, there are three groups of people, right? I call them the three Ds. And it doesn't take me more than about five minutes to work out who you are, and whether you're likely to be part of the 95 or part of the five. Do you like to know what they are? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> it almost like I would say your catchphrase of never let a month go by without building your wealth. Well, exactly right. And, you know, you don't have to spend too much time. A couple of hours a month is enough time. You'd think two hours a month people could spend, not just to learn something, but the keys to doing. And one of the dangers, I think, with the drifters is they want to seek so much information, but they'll act on nothing. You know, so they'll do this course and then they'll do that course and then they'll do the next course and they'll do the next course. And instead of stopping after course one to decide whether it's the right thing to do, whether they can see whether it's something they can take action upon uh, and seek out who else has done that, what did they have to learn what did they have to do to make this whole process quicker, this concept of connections we talked about in episode one? Mm. They, they won't do that. They'll just do the education piece. And then, oh, well, I, should, I need to know something more now. I need to know the next thing. And they keep going mm. around this sort of uh, intellectual merry-go-round. And, of course, merry-go-rounds or roller coasters are, are great when you're a kid, but not as you get older. You know, they make you sick after a while. So what you're That's saying, really? That's a good place. 
is you need to take responsibility for building your own wealth. And taking action to do that. And I recommend, you know, if I could tweet this right now, I would tweet it loud and clear. Never let 30 days go by without doing something that's very positive that you know is adding some form of asset, some form of wealth-building actions in your life. And, of course, during the course of the podcast, we'll be talking more about assets and what those assets are. But, you know, obvious things like even just putting a bit more money into the into the market, looking to see whether you could engage in some property, maybe doing something on the side to generate income that could reduce your debt. So you know, there's always ways you can do something to create more wealth. There's no doubt about that. If I meet anybody, if they're willing to do it, they will create more wealth every single month. But the drifters will never do that. But it's all good fun, and it shows that wealth building you know, is designed and meant to be fun if you do it well. You don't have to do it on your own. You can do it with other people. And I think our biggest lesson I got from listening to today's uh, contributors, Chris, uh, just ahead of the game, is the community. You know, people just love the fact that they can connect, they can collaborate, and they can share. And I think, you know, I'm so proud of what we've done in Wealth Builders and uh, delighted that so many people are joining, whether it's on the outside listening in or whether it's on the outside you know, on the inside, sharing out, you know, we're happy either way. I hope you enjoyed listening to that. We kind of dug deep into the archives there, Kevin, but, uh, you know, fundamentals, principles, things that we talk about every week. Yes. And hopefully for those of you who've been following us for a while, you've got some of the language now, you know, I'm hoping now you already know what the pillars are. You understand what debits is. You understand the forms of leverage, F-I-R-S-T, You've heard about the Wheel of Wealth. You understand the now the recurring revenue roadmap, the nine steps uh, to just make it even easier to follow a step-by-step plan. And if you want to sort of reconnect with us, go back to episode one and listen to what we were like then, and you'll still hear that passion to help people make a difference to their own wealth and also to pass on a fantastic legacy to the next generation as well, all of which is very important to all of us here at Wealth Builders. Yeah. So 100 episodes now. We know downloaded and listened to in over 100 countries. So to continue growing, we uh, would ask you, please do share this podcast with someone that you know, uh, just one person. If everyone that listens shared it with one person, that would make such a great difference. And of course, do please continue to let us know if there's anything that you'd like us to talk about in future episodes. And you can do that by leaving us a review. Just head to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash reviews. And, uh, well, we're looking forward very much, Kevin, to the next 100. (laughs) I am looking forward to it. And uh, it's going to be very interesting times ahead, Chris. Well, thank you so much for listening to our 100th episode today. And Kevin, we'll catch up same time, same place next week. Until then, my friend. See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.